Good evening. Thank you for being here this evening. Uh, we have the great opportunity and privilege to study God's Word together. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it up to John chapter 11. It will be on the screen tonight. We fixed our uh, technological issues, so uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in front of you in the pew, or you can look on the screen. You're welcome to do that there. Uh, over the last several months, almost going on an uh, entire year, I've been making my way uh, through the Gospel of John, looking at the seven signs of Jesus Christ. And uh, it has been a fruitful study for me personally, just in my study of John, and I pray that it has been fruitful for you as well if you have, as you have joined us in worship and studying God's Word. If you've missed one of those, you can always visit our website, and they're on uh, our messages board there, and you can look at uh, those and listen back to them if you would like. But tonight, uh, we finally conclude with a seventh sign of the Messiah, which is found in John chapter 11. And so that's where we want to begin tonight. Uh, you can open up your Bible there. Let's pray and we will get started. Father, what a great privilege we have to join in worship this evening. God, in the midst of trying times and difficult circumstances, we gather together as a body of believers proclaiming that you are Lord and Savior. And God, ultimately knowing that the signs that we have studied through the Gospel of John are pointing to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. And so God, as we study them, we pray that you would give us clarity, that you would give us encouragement, God, that you would give us truth, that you would be glorified, and that we would further our belief, not only in your word, but also in you. And so, God, may you transform us from the inside out. May we leave here a changed people, looking more like your son, leaving here and living out our lives in a way that glorifies and honor you, honors you in all that we do. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray tonight. Amen. Well, as we have made our ways through these signs over the last several months, we have seen that John records his gospel for us to display not only what Jesus has done and taught, but really to identify who Jesus was, to point to us the exact identity of who Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, is. And so as we have walked through, we have seen that the responses to Jesus are varied. Some see his ministry and they see the fruitfulness of it and they see the miraculous events that he uh, has done and they respond in faith. Others see those and they turn in disbelief and they turn in rejection. And once again, we see this varied response as we study John chapter 11 tonight and as we conclude this series of looking at the identity of Christ. And if you look through John, you see that John's call, his purpose is that we would believe in Jesus Christ and that by believing we would have life in His name. That's found in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. And so John says, I'm recording this for you so that you may believe, so that you may receive life, so that you would find what you're looking for and mainly find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we study this, not only do we seek to, to glean more knowledge or more truth of the Scriptures, but we also seek to uh, find ourselves with a response a response to the word of the gospel, a response to Jesus' teaching and what he has done. And the response, prayerfully, is that we would respond in faith, that we would trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we would live out the life that he has called us to live. We have three main points tonight as we look at our scripture. We do have a lot of verses to walk through, and so we're going to break those down into three different sections. The first that we'll see is in verses 1 through 16, that God can use difficulties in our lives to display His glory. So God can use dis difficulties in our lives to display His glory. 
I don't know if you've ever had a situation in your life where you had things planned out and you had the purposes for your life planned and you knew exactly what was going to happen in whatever stage of life you were at and you kind of told God uh, where you were headed and what you were going to do and you kind of told him, make sure you're on board with it. Uh, I grew up with parents that went to the University of Georgia and I grew up a dog fan and my son is growing up a dogs fan. If we played Georgia Bulldog music, he'd run around the sanctuary and start dancing and throwing a football for you if we did. But uh, growing up, I always knew that I wanted to attend the University of Georgia. I knew that UGA, UGA stood for under God's authority, and so I know God's hand was on it. And although there were times where the devil didn't let them win on the football field, that ultimately God was there at that campus. And so as I got ready to graduate high school, uh, I applied, as many do, to the University of Georgia. And I had an expectation that the, the work that I had done through high school and the extracurricular activities would allow me to get acceptance into the University of Georgia. And to my surprise, it was a year that was uh, high on uh, applications, and the Lord decided to put me on a wait list. Excuse me, there's a bug flying around, so I'm not getting charismatic up here. I'm just trying to fight him off, so nobody run out. Uh, so I apply, and I get stuck on a wait list, which is really worse than being told that you're not going to make it because there's this glimpse of hope. Hey, we may want you. We just don't want you right now. And so I began to plan on what my college career would look like, and I began to uh, set up, you know, backup plans, and I had a college that was in Athens that I could go to, and uh, had a few guys from First Baptist that were planning on being in Athens that I could live with, and long story short, the months went by, and I was supposed to hear back from the University of Georgia, and I received a small letter in the mail that said, we're sorry, but we're going to have to uh, decline your acceptance to the University of Georgia. And I remember being devastated. Honestly, being devastating, knowing that all my life I had grown up a Georgia fan and God knew that my desire was to be at the University of Georgia. And so uh, through many different things that happened, my backup plan fell through and my other backup plan fell through. And I ended up staying in Dublin my first year of college at the Dublin Center. I'm not sure what it's called now, but taking my first year of college in community college here in Dublin. And that was the one place that I told the Lord that I would never go. And I looked at that circumstance in my life, and for me as, as a high school student going in, into college and seeing all my friends get accepted into the places they wanted to be accepted in and, and going and doing what they had planned and prepared for, I began to question God's goodness. I began to question, do you really understand the plan that you have for my life? Is it really best? And through a very a, a long story that I'm going to abbreviate very quickly tonight for the sake of time is that God ended up taking that situation and putting me in places over the next year that I probably never would have found myself in. I ended up spending more time here at the church with Quentin MacArthur, who was the youth pastor at that time. And he looked to me to, to take over some leadership roles in the youth group. And I began to see and, and feel something in my heart that told me, hey, you enjoy this, and this is something that you've kind of been equipped for, and so maybe this is something that you should do. And I had people in my life that years before had mentioned that. Hey, I could see you going into ministry. And I laughed, and I said, are you crazy? There's no way I'm doing that. There's no, no way that I'm dealing with, with people in a church. They're sinners. It's not perfect. They don't get paid enough. They're underappreciated. Why in the world would I want to devote my life to that? And so I began my college career expecting to go and be a uh, physician's assistant. I expected to go to the University of Georgia. And over that year, the Lord began to show me that His plans were greater than my own. 
And then through that difficult circumstance, I got to see that, that the Lord opened my eyes to things that I never really probably would have realized if He had let me into the University of Georgia. Because of that, I stayed and I helped with a youth group, and I ended up that summer choosing to either take college classes or work at a summer camp called Impact, a camp that we take our students to today. And I remember sitting on my bed and asking the Lord, Lord, is this something that you want me to do? And realizing that there was no way that I had the ability to teach students for a week and be their small group leader. And I was doing my devotions during that time, and I flipped over in Exodus, and I read the account of Moses, and, and Moses is called by God to be a servant of God, and God says, go and, and tell Pharaoh these things. And Moses says, I, I can't do that. I'm the wrong guy. I, I can't even speak well. And the Lord says, who, who gave man his mouth? Who gave man his tongue? And I remember sitting there thinking through the fact that the Lord was calling me to something greater than myself, and that he was going to give me the ability to fulfill what he was calling me to. And over the next few years, I began getting plugged into a college ministry at the University of Georgia. I ended up transferring in two years after. And so the Lord did provide for me in ways that I didn't deserve. And I taught a sixth grade Sunday school class, and I realized that I loved and hated middle schoolers. And thankfully, the love outweighed the hate. And so I changed my major from going in to be a physician's assistant to be a middle school educator. And I began student teaching at the University of Georgia and, and doing all these things that I never would have expected the Lord to call me to do. And I met my wonderful wife, and she saw me on campus and fell in love right away. I ran from her for a few months and finally gave in. That story may be flipped around. You could ask her to, to fact check it later. But step after step after step, this difficult situation that I said, God, you're not in and you don't understand, he took and he completely changed my outlook on life. And because of that, I, I changed my career and I applied for seminary. Because of my transfer, I ended up getting delayed a year for graduation, which meant that I graduated the same time, time that Babs did, which allowed us to graduate together and get married and move off to seminary. And then the Lord in his providence called me back to First Baptist. And what I found out in that and what we find out tonight in this passage is that the Lord so oftentimes uses difficulties. He uses difficult situations, situations that we think He's not in. But yet His hand is all over it. And He uses those to display His glory. He uses those to say, I'm not, I'm not, my plans are not that you would get everything that you want. My plans are that you would fulfill the plans that I have for you, and by doing that, you would glorify me in it. And this is what happens in the story tonight. We see a man who is sick, who Jesus has the ability to heal. With a word, he could heal immediately, but yet the Lord says, it's not my plan. There's a greater purpose for what's taking place. And so look with me in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16 this evening. John 11, chapter 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So we see this scene play out. We see Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He has someone that is in need, someone that he cares for, that has a relationship with. And we see this scene play out that in our human minds, we say that that's not how it works. That's not how the, the Son of God should operate. We see in verse 1 that Lazarus is from Bethany. This is the same area where John is baptizing in John chapter 1, verse 28. And so John has been preparing the way of the Lord, John the, the Baptist, and he's preaching about the Lord. And so this is the town where Lazarus lives. And so Jesus' response here seems kind of opposite of what we would expect. We would expect that we would read this, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus would come, and, or Mary and Martha would come and say, hey, here is our petition, here is our request. And Jesus would drop everything and go immediately. But yet he doesn't do that. Rather than going immediately to heal Lazarus, it says that he heard that Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus loves Martha. He loves Mary. He loves Lazarus. And yet he doesn't immediately leave to heal him. And so what we see and what we see through the story as we go along is that Jesus uses this situation, this difficulty to strengthen their love and faith through his delay. He says, I have a plan, I have a purpose, and although you may think it's wrong for me to delay, there's a reason for why I'm doing this. And this is hard for me to understand. I'm someone who loves immediacy. I I, I love microwaves. I love Keurigs. Everything's quick nowadays. You can press a button, and within a few seconds you can get what you want. You can get on the internet and search pretty much everything that you want. You can go online and buy everything, and Amazon will have it within your doorstep within a day or two. We're people who have become familiar with immediate action. And so I'm sure they're feeling the same way. Hey, here's our request. Fulfill it. I was the chaplain for the Trinity football team Friday. Our church as a whole sponsored the pregame meal for their football team. And then because we sponsored that meal, they allow us to do a pregame devotion. And then I get to stay on the sideline and be there with the football team for the game that week. And so as I, I, I was doing that, I ran back home before I went back to the game. And I brought uh, Hatcher and Babs some, some candy. And I gave Hatcher a, a sucker. And I said, this is, your, this is your treat for the football game. So here it is, take it, you can hold it, but don't eat it until you get to the football game. Well, there was about an hour and a half delay between the time I gave him that sucker and that football game, and you should have seen the dilemma in his little face. I took the sucker and I showed it to him and I stuck him in the bag and I put it on the counter. He says, let me hold the bag. I said, okay, and so he starts walking around with the bag. 
And then I look over at the kitchen table, and he's climbed out, he's put the, the bag on the table, and he has all the suckers laid out on the, on, the ta- on the table. What's this flavor? What's this flavor? What's this one? What's that say? And I start explaining it, and you can see his, you know, he's about to start drooling. He wants this thing so bad. And a few minutes later, I see him holding the sucker in two hands, and he's looking back at me and looking back at the sucker and going back and forth. And then I see his little finger. He's kind of holding it over here, and he's scratching the plastic. And I said, buddy, you can't eat that yet. It's for the football game. He said, well, I want it now. And aren't we the same way? Aren't we given something and, and we see something and we want something and, and it, it seems like something so simple, but yet we do it in our own lives as well? God, I want to go to this place, so why don't you allow it to happen now? God, I want this relationship, why don't you allow it to happen now? God, I want this coworker or this relative to come to know you, why aren't you allowing this to happen now? God, I want to be healed from this disease or from, from this struggle or from, from this financial issue, why aren't you letting it happen now? Our human tendency is we want immediate action. We want it now. I want it and I want it now. Don't make me wait. Don't make, wait me make, make, don't let me wait two days to get a package. I want it now. And so Jesus here has the ability to heal from a distance. If, if you were to go back to John chapter 4, verse 43 to 54, we looked at the, the healing of the Roman centurion's son. And this man comes to Jesus and he says, he says Lord, my son is sick. Please heal him. And Jesus says, he's healed, go. And by the time the man gets back, his son is healed. With a a single word, Jesus heals him. And in my mind, as I'm reading through this gospel, and as I get to chapter 11, I say, okay, here we go again. Round two, say it, Jesus, be healed. Boom, he's done, Lazarus walks on. But yet Jesus says, I'm not going to work immediately this time. I'm going to delay. And I'm going to delay for a purpose that you're probably not going to understand. I'm going to delay in order that God can be glorified. I'm going to delay that your physical needs are not going to be met at this time because I am looking for something greater. And that's the story of our Christian lives. So many times we desire things in this world to happen to us and God says, not now. Maybe not ever. But whether it's now or whether it's never or whether it's in the future... We say, God, you are sovereign and you are in control and you know best. And we submit to that. So Jesus seems to contradict his love. We look in verse 8. This is obviously, for Jesus to go, it's not just something simple. In chapter 10, verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So what's been going on in Judea is Jesus has been teaching. he, He makes this claim that he and the Father are one. He's revealing himself to the Jews. He's saying, look... I am the Father and one. I am the Son of God. I am the promised Messiah. And as we see, some believe and some turn. And so not only do they reject, but now they begin to pick up stones and they say, we're going to kill this guy. He's blaspheming. And so J- Jesus says, all right, we're going to delay for two days. And he delays. And then he says, after that, he says, let us go to Judea again. And so all of a sudden we see this difficult situation where There's a risk that's about to happen for Jesus to go back and to heal Lazarus. And he says, let's go back. And he says, or his disciples look and they say, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and and you're going to go there again? So they say, okay, Jesus, look, we just left there because they were going to kill us. So why are we going to go back? And Jesus says, "Are, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
So basically what Jesus is saying, and if we, had, we, we read back a couple of uh, chapters back, we would see that Jesus has already claimed, he's, he's going to claim, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus is saying, while I am on earth, the light is with you. And while I am on, while I am on earth, I must be doing the things of the Father. And so we must go and I must be on purpose for the Lord. I must be doing the things with you while I am here and while I am on the earth. And then he goes on to say, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Uh, the disciples don't understand what he's talking about. So they say, okay, Lord, well, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. So kind of logical in their head again, okay, well, well, if he's resting, if he's sleeping, that probably means he's feeling better. So he needs just a, a couple of days to, to get back on his feet and then he'll be good. But Jesus says, no, he, in verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in his sleep. And so Jesus goes ahead and just tells them plainly, he says, look, you're, you're, you're not catching on, guys. Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. If I'm one of his disciples, I'm thinking, okay, you love these people, and you had the opportunity to go. Now we've you know, kind of waited two days. We're going to go back and get stoned because we're going, and he's already dead. How in the world are you going to work in this situation? Jesus says, he has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Jesus says, not only is he dead, but I'm glad that he is dead. Why? Because you're going to get to see my purposes and my plans and the glory that comes through me working in this difficult situation. In a situation that seems hopeless, that seems impossible, that to our finite minds we can't wrap our heads around. Jesus says, I am going to work. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so Thomas says, all right, well, let's go. Let's do it. We're all going to die. Let's die with him. The, the situation's over. He's dead. We're going to be dead too. Let's go and give ourselves with the Lord and we'll, we'll see what happens. And so we see this difficult situation unfold and we kind of have to wonder to ourselves, how is this going to end for good? And how is this going to end for God's glory? Matt Carter is a well-known pastor. He says this, You will encounter no situation in life in which God cannot be glorified. You will encounter no situation in life in which God cannot be glorified. And so as we encounter difficult situations in our own lives, we have to ask ourselves, how can I glorify God in this? How can I glorify God in this? Whatever you're going through today, or whatever you're going to go through in the future, how can I glorify God in this? How can God be glorified in my situation? Sometimes our eyes of reason and our, our small brains can't really explain the situation. But Jesus says, sometimes you're going to have to have eyes of faith. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust in my plans. You're going to have to understand that sometimes you don't know what's best. That sometimes it's better to delay what I'm giving you than give it to you now. And so what happens in our own lives, and in mine in particular, I let my circumstances guide my interpretation of God's love rather than His Word. I let my circumstances guide my interpretation of God's love rather than His Word. 
I look at my difficult situations. I looked at that experience when I was getting ready to apply for college and saying, God, you're not giving me what I want, so you don't love me. Rather than looking to God's word and and maybe looking back at John chapter 11 and saying, hey, maybe you're working and maybe it's just in a way that I don't understand. Maybe you're doing things behind the scenes that I have no idea is going on. And so what we're going to see as we continue in this passage is Lazarus' death is not the end of the story and neither is it for us as well. As believers, though, we have no guarantee in life to be without problems and pain. As a believer, we don't get the easy way out. It's not a guarantee that we're not going to have problems and pain, but what it does guarantee is that in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that pain that you're experiencing today, that the Lord is with you always. Our lives are not designed to be a life about comfort. It's a a life that's designed to be centered on God's glory. And if we're not careful, we're so easily fall into this that, God, I want my life to be comfortable. I I want it to be comfortable. I want everything to go my way. And the Lord says, it's not about your comfort. It's about my glory. It's about how you can glorify me in the best way possible. And sometimes that means that you are comfortable. Sometimes it means that God does answer the requests of your heart. And other times it means that he doesn't. And so delays and difficulties and disease and even death should lead us to draw encouragement from God's word. Rather than running from him and and saying, God, you don't love me, we look to his word and we say, God, I trust in you, I believe in you. I know that you can be glorified in this. And so we acknowledge tonight that Jesus is sovereign over each and every one of our circumstances. As pastors, we can know what is going on in some of your lives, but we can't know all of it. And so whatever is going on in your life, although our pastoral staff may not know it, Jesus is sovereign over that situation. Whether your life is going exactly as it's wanting to and it's planned, or whether it's going terrible and you're wondering, where are you, Lord? Jesus is sovereign over that situation. And so God's love is not discredited by the difficulties that you face in your life. Just because you're going through difficulties does not mean that God doesn't love you. It may mean that God loves you so much that He would allow you to go through those in order that He could show you His love even more, which is what we're going to see in this passage tonight. John Piper says, Don't measure the love of God for you by how much health and wealth and comfort He brings into your life. That's American cultural Christianity right there. That's the prosperity gospel. If, if God loves me, then I'll have health, I'll have wealth, I'll have comfort. That's how I know God's for me. That's not the gospel. It is far, far from it. We do not judge God's love by how much comfort and how much wealth and how much health we have. We judge God's love by the cross. That He would love us so much that He would send His Son to die for us. And so God can and He will use the difficulties in your life to display His glory. Second, God can use the difficulties in our lives to reveal His truth. Babs and I are preparing for uh, a new baby November 1st. We're a little over 30 weeks uh, pregnant. I say we. She's more 30 weeks pregnant than I am, even though I may look like it. But, uh, But we are getting prepared. I went to Ikea a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you've ever had an Ikea experience. Uh, But Ikea is this massive factory in Atlanta. They have all these rooms set up with all this gorgeous furniture. You walk through this huge factory. You get down to the end. They tell you, here, write your number down. You can buy anything you want and take it out with you. It's a great marketing scheme. 
So I walk through and we pick out a dresser and a nightstand and I notice, you know, their prices are like half what you'd find everywhere else. I'm like, this is great. We're saving money. It looks good. Get down to the end, walk over to the shelf and there are three flat boxes about that high and about that wide and about as tall as me and that's my dresser. And I don't know how in the world those three boxes make a dresser. And we got them home and I cleared out an entire room and I put everything on the floor and I had more pieces. I mean, it was like it, it, overwhelmatosis, if that's a word. I think it is on a kid's show. But uh, it was humbling. And I sat there in my room looking at all these little pieces as Hatcher would run in and grab a few and run off and I would scream and chase him down to get it back. And, and I thought, how are all these little bitty things going to make this dresser? And sometimes in our own lives, we do that as well. We, we're looking at something so small and we look at it and we say, God, how are you going to use this in my life to make that? I know where, the, where it's going. I, I, I know what's at the end of the tunnel. I, I know what, what the book says, but how is that going to make that? And God says, I can use the difficulties in your lives to reveal my truth to you. Just trust me. Just believe in me. Seek my glory. So in verse 17 it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. And so we see here that Jesus arrives, Mary and Martha are mourning, there's crowds that have come to mourn with them, there's this great loss that's happening, and so Martha comes out and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She had faith, she understood that he could have saved her, but, or could have saved him, but he didn't do it. And so Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And so Martha, knowing the Scriptures, knowing that she believes in Christ and that there's promises being made in the Old Testament, she says, well, I know he'll rise in the end. I know it at the last day that he will be resurrected, but God, you could have saved him today. And yet Martha doesn't grasp Jesus' words at first. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What he's saying here is, you may die, but you will live through me because I am the resurrection and life. And he then says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Meaning this, that you will spend eternity with me. Death will be no more because you believe in me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so Martha is looking forward to an event and Jesus is saying, it's a person. It's me. I am the one that you're looking for. I give resurrection power. I give life. And then he asks this question, do you believe this? And so he takes this deep theological truth and he wants her to grasp it and believe it personally. And Martha exemplifies for us belief. She says to him, 
three things. She says, yes, Lord. She calls him Lord. She says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And so in the midst of her pain and sorrow, she identifies Jesus not only as Lord, but as the Son of God and as Christ. She understands exactly who he is. And so she places a personal confidence in Jesus. The problem for us is that oftentimes we can know all the right answers. We can grow up in church. We can give all the Sunday school answers. We can fill in the blank. We can tell everybody what they want to hear. But oftentimes we don't answer this question that Jesus, is, Jesus asked. Do you believe this? It's not just about knowledge. It's not about knowing the right answers in Sunday school or attending church or having everything in your head that you can answer about Jesus Christ. No, he's saying, do you believe this? Do you know this personally? Can you experience this in your own life? Jesus says, I I want you to know the truth, not only in your head, but I want you to experience that truth in your life. And so our hope today is found in a person, and it is Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves this, this evening, are we living out our new life today? Are we living out our new life today? Are we living out what God has called us to, resurrection and life-giving power? Or are we just sitting around kind of checking the box, saying, I said the prayer, and then I'm ready for the last day? Jesus says, believe it today, experience today. He says, yes, there will be a day in the future when sin and death are no more. But today is the day for you to receive resurrection and life-giving power that is available to each of us. And so God takes difficulties in our lives and the moments that seem to be hopeless and He uses them to reveal His truth. Point number three, God can use the difficulties in our lives to lead us to belief in Christ. John's Gospel emphasizes faith and belief in Christ. We already mentioned in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, we see John's purpose statement. He says, I've written these signs, I've I've written these things down so that you might believe in Jesus Christ, and by believing you may have life in His name. And so John's challenge and the challenge of our text this evening is that we would, through the difficult circumstances, we would seek God's glory and we would seek to see and and understand the truth that is given in those, and then also that we would believe personally. I read through the the Gospel of John again this week, and it's just an amazing book to read through. And I was studying, and in my study I found out that this word belief and its derivatives are used. It's a a Greek word that's pistuo is is how you pronounce it. It's used 98 times in John's Gospel. So in 20 chapters, 98 times John uses pistuo, belief. And in chapter 11, the the text we're looking at tonight, it's used nine times. And so if repetition alone means something, it means that belief is something that that John's concerned about. And belief is something that Jesus is concerned about. John's gospel is saying, believe, believe. 98 times, believe, look to Jesus Christ and believe in him as the Lord and Savior, the promised Messiah, the coming King. And so we may not know what God is doing in our lives, but we have to believe that He loves us, that He is there for us, that we can trust in His promises and His plans. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read through this whole section, but Jesus in this section begins to weep. We see in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha. In verse 34, it says, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. In verse 35, it tells us one of the shortest passages in Scriptures. It says, Jesus wept. I hope that's comforting to you that Jesus wept. 
Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And so we, Jesus, we see Jesus sympathizing with their situation. He's not cold and removed. He's not out here just saying, hey, that's my plan. Deal with it. No, he sympathizes with us. He, he weeps. He sees what's going on with death. He sees sin. He likely also understands that what's about to take place is going to leave two responses, either acceptance or rejection. And so likely he's weeping for those that are about to reject him as well. And so he says, I see your circumstance. I see your difficult situation. I see the things in your life that you are worried about. And I sympathize with you. I weep with you. I love you. I care for you. And so what happens is Jesus comes and he calls Lazarus out. He says, come to the tomb with me. And so Jesus moved again, comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus, you don't want to do that. He, he's been dead for four days. You, you don't want to walk in there. And Martha, unfortunately, casts her eyes more down on the grave than she does looking up at her Savior. She looks once again at her difficult circumstances and forgets who's standing in front of the tomb. The one who has resurrection and life-giving power. And in verse 43, it says, when he had said these things, he prays and he says that he's praying because he wants others to hear in order that they would believe that God has sent them. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. And if you go on to read through verses 45 and to the end of the chapter, we see that many of the Jews believed what had happened. They believed in Jesus Christ, but once again, some did not believe. They rejected and they turned and they went to the Pharisees and they told them what had happened. And in verse 53, we see this unfolding. Caiaphas speaks of this prophetic message that he doesn't really understand, but it's speaking of Jesus dying for a nation, a dying, one person dying for everyone in order that they would have resurrection in life. And so it says in verse 53, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And so what we see is Lazarus becomes this living witness and testimony to Christ's resurrection and life-giving power. In John 12, verses 9 to 11, we see a plot to kill Lazarus. People were coming to Lazarus because they had heard of what Jesus had done. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in Dublin? We have a steak and shake open, and the entire world goes through the drive-thru. If a guy came by and said, hey, he's resurrected, I'm sure we would have a crowd. And so people become, come to Lazarus, and they're not just looking. The person, they come, and then all of a sudden they begin to believe themselves. And so Lazarus becomes this living witness, this testimony. And it's a question for us as well. If, if we're believers and we've received the resurrection and life-giving power that Jesus has, can people see that in our lives as well? Can people see us and see the things that we have laid aside? Have we been unbound by the sins that hold us, and we're holding on to the freedom of Jesus Christ? Are we just like what Cliff talked about this morning, just nice people? Somebody we'd like to hang out with, somebody we'd like to have as a neighbor. I think we blur those lines a little too much. It's not about being nice, it's about being like Christ. It's about looking like the sun, about turning from the sins, the things that held us, the things that weighed us down, the things that killed us, that separated us from the Lord. And we're saying, God, I lay those aside, call me. Will, come out. Come out of your sin. Come out of your shame. Come out of your doubt. That's what the Lord is calling us to tonight. Another quote from John Piper. Love means giving us what we need most. 
Jesus is offering eternal life. He is offering the resurrection and life that only He gives. And so once again, there are only two responses to God's revelation. One is acceptance and the other is rejection. So each of you are going to leave tonight, whether you want to or not, you're going to make a decision after hearing this text. You're either going to accept it and you're going to accept the Lord and Savior as your life. And maybe you've already done that, but you're going to live that out as you leave here. Or whether willingly or just by chance, you're going to reject it. Those are our two options. There aren't any others. And so some we see in this passage would believe and they would receive life in Jesus Christ and others would reject him. They would go and they would report what happened to the Pharisees. They'd say, look, we need, to get, we need to kill this guy. We need to get rid of him. And as you read through John, we see that Jesus would go and he would die. And he would get in a tomb. And after three days, he would be resurrected. And because of his death and burial and resurrection, we here today have life in his name. And so how will you respond to Christ today? John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Whatever you're going through the night, whether your life is perfect and everything's working or whether it is difficult and you're falling apart, God can use the things in your life to display His glory, to reveal His truth, and lead you to belief. May we be found in Him this evening. Please join me in prayer. Father, we stand in awe of Your love for us. And Father, we admit that so often we find ourselves grading your love for us by how comfortable we are in our lives. But God, we know that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us, that he would live a life that we could not live and die a death that we deserve and be resurrected on the third day so that we may have life in his name. And so, God, may we look to Him, may we, as Martha, say that He is Lord, that He is Christ, that He is Messiah, that He is the Son of God. And may it not just be some head knowledge, but God, may be it something that transforms our lives. God, may we not reject You anymore, but may we accept You as Lord and Savior, meaning that You are Lord, that You rule our lives, that You have a say in whatever plans and purposes that You put in our lives. And God, may You be our Savior, may we find grace and mercy at the foot of the cross this evening. And God, as we do that, as we accept that, as we receive that sovereignly by your plan, may we go and may we share that with others. God, may we speak the miraculous work that you're doing in our lives. And may we be a witness and testimony as Lazarus was. May other people see that there is such a difference in our lives that they have to say, what's going on? God, we look to you tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.